are back with another episode of Underrated. I'm Lefty. And I'm Bo. Bo, welcome back. You know, we've taken a, a couple of weeks off, but we're back for February. How have yes. you been? Yeah, it's, uh, it feels like we're on a long holiday break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we came out today, we saw our shadow. Maybe we didn't see our shadow. Uh, oh my gosh. I'm glad you brought that up. It's my favorite holiday of the year. You know, we all know that climate change is a complete hoax. So we have to rely on actual science uh, from a rodent in Pennsylvania. To, yeah, uh, yeah. Predict spring. Yeah, well, and I know that, that you're also a huge fan of... 80s movies that bully uh, Andy McDowell? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was, uh, obviously that was all over the place today. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, you, you just sent me texts like, why were the 80s so mean to her? Right. <laughs> I don't know if the 90s were that much better either. Yeah, she, but nobody nobody remembers those movies. Right, yeah. I do. <laughs> <laughs> Was she in your favorite movie? Was she in Eddie? I I don't think she was in Eddie, uh, <laughs> which is so funny because I was actually re-listening to some of our now infamous Eddie Patreon episode, which I thought I, I think we're fairly funny people. Uh, others may disagree, but um, yeah, I she was in a movie with John Travolta where he starred as uh, Michael the Archangel. Mm, uh, oh yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, I think uh, John Hurt was in that too, and they basically rode uh, in a station wagon uh, across the country. Um, that was an interesting film. It, it sure was. I don't think it won any awards or anything, though. Uh, no, but it was, uh, you know, it was just another, another riveting uh, directorial and s- screenplay, uh, you know, just just masterpiece by Nora Ephron. Do you have a Rotten Tomatoes score on that in front of you, by chance? Um, I can't imagine that it's lower than 150. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to—I want to see how that stacks up against against Eddie um, and, and Sister Act, as we, as, we, <laughs> as, as we covered. You know, I—I I don't know. How, how would you rate him personally? Because I, mm. I, I, okay, so it looks like Rotten Tomatoes, Michael, 36 percent. Oh my gosh. Which, That's, if we want to, if we want to take this full circle, significantly higher than Velma. Yeah. <laughs> Another instant, uh, instant failure. Uh, yeah, which may yeah. end up coming. Well, watch like fifteen years from now. It's just like Velma's this cult classic. Um, I don't think so. I don't think it'll. I don't think that'll happen. Um, P- and if you'd like are- to, if you'd like to know what we're talking about, um. Support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash underratedpod, or uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Yeah. <laughs> People are saying Velma is, uh, is, is, is is the worst show ever created. It's it's definitely up there. Oh, jeez. Well, you know, is that really a surprise, though? I, mean, I don't think it's a surprise to anybody. But yeah. do you know what is a surprise? WNBA free agency. Oh, Have you been man. following this? It's been all so, the news in my neck of the woods. So, yeah. So, okay. So, I, I'll honestly say there there was a day a couple weeks ago when the, the Bills lost. Uh, the University of Houston men's basketball team lost. And I, I lost every bet that I placed. And I was sort of in this uh, downward spiral. And so, I was a little dis- I've been a little disconnected. But I have seen 
a lot of the WNBA free agency moves and there are super teams being created out there. Exactly. That was, that was, that was my big question for you. You know, um, Seattle superstar, Brian Stewart has left the Seattle storm to join the New York Liberty. Mm -hmm. Um, and we already saw the, the super team Las Vegas aces last year. There really are just two super teams in the league. Do you think that anyone can make a push beyond the two favorites? I mean, literally just, uh, hour or two ago new york signed another star in courtney vandersloop uh, yeah i just saw that here um not too long ago um i i think you're looking at the i think you're looking at the wnba finals right there right so i mean yeah yeah, yeah I, I don't for me firmly um just the level of play as far as just the the talent pool are so strong on those two teams i don't really know if there's anyone who can stack up against those two i mean I guess there can always be surprises, but I mean that's that's a lot of talent. That's a, that's a lot of talent in one area, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that could be the the two. There could be the 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 least um, you know fair spread of play in the WNBA this season than in any any sports league in recent years. Yeah. So I was going to ask you, like, so talking about this now, real question here, like, is this good for the WNBA? Do you have two really good teams that you know uh, draw even more attention because of just the level of play, or or is this is this bad you know overall for you know for for other markets who just you know don't have that star caliber? Um, you know, I think that obviously, like all things, it'll be some good and bad. It'll be good that one of the best and most exciting teams, full of some of the best and most exciting players, is in one of yeah. the largest markets in New York. Right. Um, and you know. Las Vegas fans have shown out for all of their sports as they've, you know, acquired franchises to the city. Um, So so that's always a good thing. Obviously, it's probably not good for the rest of the fans of the league, um, especially as the WNBA as a league fights for more investment and publicity from the NBA and media organizations. But everyone loves that super team narrative especially when they lose. So I think that that alone could uh, really boost engagement. This is good for Knicks fans. I think uh, I think they just need to see some winning basketball. They, they, <laughs> the last time they saw winning basketball was was the film Eddie, starring Whoopi <laughs> Goldberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. And uh, also uh, Lynn Sanity. That was a good run there for a minute. Yeah, yeah. That was the front cover news for uh, ever. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) You know, uh, this weekend, this past weekend, we also saw the Eagles and the Chiefs move on to the Super Bowl after winning their respective division championship series. Mm -hmm. Are you excited for this matchup? More importantly, I'd really love your thoughts, and I'd love for you to weigh on on, uh, whether you think the league is scripted, as many on the internet have begun to claim. (laughs) <laughs> you know that's an interesting that's an interesting uh you know storyline am i excited to watch these two teams no not whatsoever <laughs> i mean like i don't know here we're, we're gonna we're already we're just a mere few days into it and and now we got to hear about how great andy reed is you know and his philadelphia roots and then we gotta hear about you know the city of brotherly love where I told you, uh, so many people are just disgruntled over there and just all these other things. And, you know, people were talking about Nick Sirianni and how he's just been, you know, uh, he jumped on the right bandwagon, which is probably true. I mean, hell, it just, 
you know, all this stuff. I don't know. Like, I, I just, I find the Kansas City Chiefs fan base and that whole organization to be just very, very bland. I don't know. Yeah. Just... Well, I mean, to be fair, what isn't bland in Kansas City? Right, right. Exactly. And if somebody says barbecue, we will end this show. Okay. Don't even think that in your minds. Yeah, you don't want to offend Bo, who is a, a resident of a city with, uh, you know, renowned for their uh, culinary uh, excitement in St. Louis. Yeah, exactly. Like, let's just let's just keep this uh, let's just keep it down when we're talking about this. Uh, don't talk about Arthur Bryan or Gates or whatever is out there. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, like, I think Patrick Mahomes is a is, is a great quarterback. I honestly do. Um, you know, I, I think. Uh, just that fan base just kills me. It covers such a large span. And there were so many people who had the opportunity to watch the Chiefs for so long and then just jumped on the bandwagon. It's just, it, I mean, we're, we're talking about people in Nebraska and just. Yeah, well, I mean, again, Kansas. it's not like there's any football in Nebraska anymore. Right. Um, but, you know, one thing that I appreciate is that the narrative as the Chiefs, you know, ride deep into the playoffs again has, has shifted. Last year, it was like old white men complaining about Patrick Mahomes' younger brother. Do you remember oh, yeah. this? Do you remember oh, yeah. this? He was Absolutely. all of the ridge because he made a TikTok or whatever. Sure, sure. Um, and, and this year, it's about the NFL being rigged. So I, I really, I mean, it's a familiar pattern, right? Right. It's it's right. pretty. It's it, it's a lot of fun actually to see American politics, you know, mirrored in the way that we talk about football. Definitely. You know, I can agree with that. Yeah. You know, if, if you think about Patrick Mahomes' little brother being someone like Barack Obama, who was talked about um, as, as just annoying and not American, and, and right. now they're now they've shifted to to it being rigged and staged. <laughs> I, I, I I appreciate it, and I think that it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I also appreciate the theory that people keep messing with the Rocky statue in Philadelphia. And, and placing jerseys on it for for their their team that's always visiting, and that team always ends up losing in the playoffs. So so now, yeah, it's because no one from Philadelphia has ever seen that statue. <laughs> no where, one in that city has ever gone where, to wherever the fuck the art museum is. I, I was gonna say, like, I mean, is it still there? Because it's not at the top of the stairs, right? It's it's somewhere else. I thought. I don't know. I thought they. It hasn't been on the top of those. The, I mean, the Rocky Stairs is its own thing, but I think that statue is somewhere else. I'm not really sure. It, yeah, it's not on the stairs, but it's it's still not uh, not in a place that uh, too many people visit. You, yeah, you have to be just a random tourist just wandering, and then you come across uh, this Rocky statue in all its glory. I got to say, too, any Philly listeners out there, that airport is just awful. What a mess. Fix that, please. But on top of that, hey, cheesesteaks. <laughs> you can get a you can get uh, a cheesesteak in the airport. Yeah, you know, That's if right. you wanted to just avoid going going to the stadium and going to Tony Luke's, you can just get one in the airport and be just as miserable. That's right. That's right. I think it's a lot of a lot of people do that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll see how this uh, uh, you know plays out. But I think the the most uh, the hardest thing for me to watch was Terry Bradshaw conducting any sort of interview post any game. I, I think that he just needs to go home. 
like I'm people. I know he has health problems and all this stuff. Even more reason for you to just stay home. I just, it's not enjoyable. It's very difficult to watch. He's, he's rambling. He's he's not sweating profusely. He's always wearing a newsboy cap. I don't know. I I just I've been watching that man for what, twenty more years than I would have liked to to have watched him. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't watch football, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I would I would much rather uh, go to bed early on a Sunday night <laughs> or um, watch the Real Housewives of uh, Kansas City. The Real Housewives <laughs> of Kansas City. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes is his little brother on that. Yeah, yeah, and his wife definitely, his who wife. Uh, was also the talk of the town last year, I believe. Definitely, she was. There's there was so much hatred against the uh, the Mahomes. Like people even hate their baby. Super yeah. Weird. Yeah, I mean, it's not a, it's not unheard of for people in this country to to hate mixed race babies, though. <laughs> it's very common. Anyway, is there somebody you wanted to talk about today, Bo? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we're we're gonna jump back into the NBA. I did an NBA story um, on Arvita Sabonis on our last episode. I don't know if I've ever done back to back a story on the same sport, but. You know, the 80s, we were talking about the 80s and all the great films uh, with Andy McDowell in them, uh, but the 80s is still a prolific time in NBA history when you think about it, you know, you know Magic, Dr. J, Bird, uh, the start of careers for guys like Jordan, Barkley, Dominique Wilson, Wilkins, you know, so many great iconic players from that era. Um, but there's one player that I want to talk about today. Sometimes his name doesn't even make it in the top 20 of that decade, which, you know, I just find to be pretty crazy and and that's really why we're here to talk about former nba star and also uh, franklin yeah (laughs) very (laughs) close uh a former assistant coach also alex english so uh alex english alex english uh played in parts of three different decades during his nba tenure you know 70s 80s and 90s but you know his story really starts at the university of south carolina he played in every single game over the four years he actually attended um, so during this time, he scored a record, you know, 1,972 points and was only the third player in school history to record over 1,000 rebounds. And on top of that, shoot better than 50% from the field. He was a two-time All-American. And honestly, looking back at it now, English was really the first African-American star athlete in South Carolina history, um, just based on his performance and, you know, actual support from that school. But you know, in the 1976 NBA draft, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks made English the 23rd overall pick. You know, over the next three seasons, he just really struggled. He struggled to get in the rotation. You know, the highlight of his time there was the 1978 playoffs. He averaged 13.4 points off the bench. But, you know, they had a first-round exit, and, and that really marked the end of his time in Milwaukee. Um, he just never found a place in Don Nelson's system, and you know, there's growing frustrations over playing time. You know, English signed with the Indiana Pacers in the offseason, and he just finally became a starter. Yeah, yeah. You know, he he really began to showcase some playmaking abilities. You know, he averaged 16 points per game in his first season with the Pacers. You know, and that was a team in the middle of a rebuild. So, you know, 1980 comes along, and midway through the season, the Pacers traded English to the Nuggets. For George McGinnis, you know, a former Pacers star and fan favorite from the years prior in the NBA, but, you know, also a star in the twilight of his career. 
And, you know, really from there, we can just say the rest is history. You know, his first full season with the Nuggets, English averaged 25.4 points per game. He led his team to the playoffs, was named an NBA All-Star, and was All-NBA second team. The following year, he won the league scoring title with an average of 28.4 points per game. The year after that, he placed fourth in the league in scoring. You know, this became the standard, and that was an expectation for Alex English, you know, that over his 10-year run in Denver. And uh, in the 84-85 season, he averaged 28 points per game. You know, the Nuggets won the division. In the playoffs, he averaged 30.2 points per game. And they advanced to the Western Conference Finals, and, you know, they would lose to the eventual champion Lakers team. But, you know, it's important to note, that was a five-game series. In game four, English actually broke his thumb and couldn't play the rest of the series. You know, um, the way that they were performing at that time, they probably were going to end up in the NBA Finals. So, you know, the following year, Alex English recorded his career best average, 29.8 points per game in the 85-86 season. Again, an all-star. Again, the Nuggets go to the postseason. They make it all the way to the Western Conference semifinals. He goes and he averages just over 29 points per game. Four rebounds, four assists. That's a six-game series. Again, they lose. So in in the final game of that series, he scores 42 points. I mean, you know, he saw two more successful seasons in Denver, but by the 89-90 season, his scoring average dipped to 17.9 points per game. I mean, it's clear he was not the same player he had been in subsequent years. So... Denver chooses not to re-sign him in the offseason. You know, he has a one-year stint with the Mavericks and even played over in Italy for a season. So, you know, all in all to recap, Alex English was an eight-time NBA All-Star, three-time All-NBA second team. He had an NBA scoring title. When he left the Nuggets, he held essentially every team record, most career points, assists, games played, minutes played, highest career scoring average. He was the first NBA uh, player in history to score 2,000 points in eight consecutive seasons. No one had ever done that. Yes, he was inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in 1997. But what's missing from his portfolio? You know, an MVP award, an NBA championship. You know, if you look at any best of list, it's really, really unlikely that you're going to see his name anywhere on it. Uh, You know, so that begs the question, Lefty. I mean, do you think Alex English is underrated or, I mean, is he accurately rated based on the level of talent during the prime of his career? You know, what are your thoughts? You know, I think that he's definitely underrated. And I think one of the biggest reasons that he's underrated is one that you failed to mention. Probably the most prolific thing he did in his career, which was acting as the head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers in the movie Eddie. (laughs) There you go. It really is the, we, we've laid the groundwork with Eddie and this is all going to, at the end of this show, we are going to find out that Eddie has connected everything that we've ever done. Great yeah. call. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I really am surprised that you didn't mention that. Um, <laughs> it's, it's such a motif of this show <laughs> right? that, uh, I, I'm just, I'm just shocked you didn't mention it. I know. Um, I yeah, absolutely underrated. Um, as you said, he, he's a player who is super prolific in terms of scoring. Um, and that came at an interesting point in, in the NBA, if you think about it, right? Yeah. A couple of years into his career, the three-point line was introduced. 
Um, right, exactly. And that, that was not not something that he was super prolific at, um, but was all right. Um, and not something that he attempted a ton of shots at. Um, so it, it would be interesting to see just how much more prolific he would be in terms of scoring had he come along 10 years later. Uh, right. Had, you know, grown up taking three-point shots. Um, because it, it was definitely something that he's, he could do um, and probably could have done better. Um, but yeah, definitely a prolific player, you know, Hall of Famer, and somebody that sure. that, that is, uh, you know, left out of those conversations and probably shouldn't be. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's, I I think he's by 20, 20th, 20 something on the NBA's all time scoring list where we sit. Um, you know, one of our early episodes of the show, we talked about Marvin Harrison, and Alex English was very similar in his demeanor right now a lot of people say hey listen you know during those denver years that he played in a very you know up-tempo high scoring offense you know um but everything he did was low-key he wasn't flashy um you know he was just there to get the job done there was no trash talk you know and that's when really uh the 80s in the nba is really when you started to see a lot of this personality come out um in, in, in basketball players. But, um, you know, I think that's a big part of it. You know, there were no big donks. There wasn't a bunch of flashy passes, you know, and yeah, his team's yeah. never won an NBA title. And, I mean, he was also playing with guys like, you know, Dominic Wilkins and Larry Bird. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, and like I said, you know, Magic was out there. Dr. J, Michael Jordan, and Charles Barkley were just getting their careers started. They're so so there's such a high level of talent it's of course even when he was performing at a super high level and winning you know scoring titles and whatnot still i mean it it, he wasn't getting any attention and recognition which is you know pretty bizarre but you know still today you know i i think it's really just uh you know his counterparts were so outstanding at that time there was just much more that had to go into that and an NBA championship. You know, I, I, I think if he was a, at least an MVP, you know, he was never known for his defense. Um, that's just not something that, you know, especially in the West, uh, the defense across the West wasn't very strong in the eighties overall. You know, I, I think it would be a little bit different, but um, still in all, I, I think that his name ever, it never comes up in these conversations. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it, it's interesting, right? Because he's actually been in the news recently um, as, you know, two-time MVP consecutive, right? Um, and Denver star Nikola Jokic yeah, yeah. Um, just Jokic. broke his uh, assist, all-time Denver assist record. Right, right. Um, and, you know, I just read an interview with him in which he talked about how, you know, um, he couldn't think of a, a better player to kind of take the throne from him. Um, so, so when you think about putting him in a conversation with, uh, you know, some of the best players of all time, and, I mean, obviously Jokic is not quite there yet, but, uh, he's, he's somebody that, uh, is on a different plane in terms of his playing ability. So, oh, you know, yeah. just another player that, uh, that Alex English is kind of in the conversation with obviously different play styles and eras, but, uh, sure, you know, when, sure. when, you, when, when you think about, uh, you know, other stars to put him, put him around, he's right there with. Jokic in terms of best players of all time in the for the Nuggets. Definitely. I, I agree. I mean, we're talking about a guy who scored 21,000 points in, in, in a decade, right? Just during the 80s in itself. I mean, um, 
yeah, it, it definitely, you know, you, like you said, Jokic is, uh, you know, outstanding. Probably, yeah, one of the best passers I've ever seen, uh, you know, um, since I've been watching basketball. Like, the, the things that he's able to do is just incredible, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that Alex English is actually getting some attention, you know, for, for what he did in that, you know, Denver Nuggets organization and, you know, in the NBA now because of that a little bit. So, uh, yeah, you know, I think he deserves a little bit more credit, you know, especially when it comes to the NBA's all-time greats. You know, I think, um, I, I, I don't, I think he was, along with Vince Carter, if I'm not mistaken, I think uh, the NBA, uh, you know, he didn't make it on to the uh, 75th anniversary all-time team. And uh, they were the only two players with more than 25,000 career points that were excluded. You know, so I, I just feel like, you know, year after year and over time, you know, he's just absolutely know, been snubbed. Athlete. Yeah, yeah. He's always snubbed. And it, it was during the golden age of the NBA. I just think, um, you know, uh, we've forgotten about some some great accomplishments. But, you know, hopefully this conversation, you know, can help change that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the conversation of greats, when you when you think about Michael Jordan and you think about LeBron James, I, I don't know how you can't include Alex English in that conversation when it comes right. to NBA stars that have also been in movies. <laughs> absolutely. And we're talking about, you know, uh, box office success, folks. I mean, we're talking about, you know, Space Jam. We're talking about Eddie, things like yeah. that. Yeah. So, well, and, and yeah. at the end of the day, I think you would be hard pressed to find a person who who could watch the movie Eddie and could watch either Space Jam film and say that Eddie is not the superior film. Definitely. It's just a fact. That's a fact. Again, whatever your thoughts are, you can please let us know after the show on Twitter. But what this is this could this is not up for debate. We'll 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 hear whatever you you have to say about it. But but come on. And yeah, Alex you, Alex English underrated. Absolutely. Eddie superior film. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back. And we are back after that riveting conversation about uh, Alex English, assistant coach for the Cleveland Cavaliers in the uh, the movie Eddie, uh, yes. starring Whoopi Goldberg. Um, you know, I wanted to switch gears here. I'm not sure how much you've uh, followed the NWSL so far this year, but uh, you know, preseason camp started for most teams last week. Yeah. Today, I want to talk about one of the most decorated and underappreciated by the larger football viewing audience, players of all time. A player who also happens to be in one of those camps. Today, I'd like to discuss Orlando Pride Forward, Brazilian football legend, Marta. Marta, yep. Uh, so the women's professional game has changed uh, quite a bit since Marta entered the scene, but she's been there since the early days. You know, Marta first started playing professionally at only 14 years old in 2000 with Brazilian club Vasco da Gama, you know, 23 years ago. Still playing Definitely. today after 23 yeah. years of professional play. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a, a long-tenured career already. You know, at, at the age, it's still in her 30s, just to, yeah, just to yeah. throw that out there, by the way. Yeah, you know, she stayed at the club for two relatively uneventful seasons until the entire team folded due to financial reasons. She moved on to another Brazilian club in Santa Cruz for two seasons, leading Brazil to championships in the Pan American Games and Copa America, uh, before popping onto the international radar and making the move to Europe and joining Umeo. Uh, Swedish club in 2004 at only 18 years old. Yeah. 
You know, she immediately took off with that club, scoring 22 goals and leading the Swedish side to the finals of the UEFA Women's Championship, um, finishing second in the Swedish league. That year, I also saw Marta help Brazil win a silver medal in the 2004 Summer Olympics. You know, in her second season uh, with uh, Umeo, she again led the team to an undefeated season, only losing in the championship game to the same Swedish side as the year prior, uh, but leading the league in scoring for the first time. All right. In 2006, the world saw more of the same. Marta led the Swedish league in scoring. Umeo went undefeated through the regular season, but lost in the Swedish Cup. Uh, in 2006, also would mark the first time Marta would be named the FIFA World Player of the Year. Unsurprisingly, 2007 was the same story. Marta led the league in scoring. The club lost the championship. And uh, 2007 also saw Marta garner her, you know, greatest World Cup success. In the tournament, she netted an impressive seven goals, winning the Golden Boot. Was named the best player of the tournament. Also led Brazil to a second-place finish. That performance also helped her win her second consecutive FIFA World Player of the Year. You know, in 2008, Marta would again lead Umeo to a club championship and be named the FIFA Club World Cup Player of the Year uh, on the back of an impressive Olympics performance in which she again helped Brazil win silver. Definitely. After a, 103 appearances and 111 goals, Marta would leave Sweden and join the Los Angeles Soul of the Women's Professional Soccer League. With the Soul, Marta saw more of the same. Adding 10 goals in 19 games, winning the Golden Boot, and leading the club to the championship game and again winning the FIFA World Player of the Year. How many is that, Bo? You counted? Yeah, I think, uh, what are we at? Uh, uh, four now? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah? Four World Cup, World uh, FIFA World Player of the four? Years. Yeah. You know, um, for the second time in her career, she saw one of her clubs fold due to financial reasons. Following yeah. the 2009 season, Los Angeles disbanded. Marta would stay stateside and join Gold of Pride, a Bay Area Women's Professional Soccer League club. You know, with the Bay Area club, Marta would again win the Golden Boot, would win the league MVP, and uh, would lead Gold Pride to a league championship, winning her fifth consecutive FIFA World Player of the Year. Five in a row. You know, after becoming a free agent in 2011, she'd stay stateside and join the Western New York Flash. A little wordy little wordy team name yeah you know uh she continued to you know be a proficient scorer scored 10 goals in 14 games but uh, after three years in the united states marta returned to sweden where she spent the next five seasons with two clubs continuing to score and continuing to be one of the most efficient players in the leagues you know while her club saw success and deep runs in the uefa champions league her first club again collapsed due to financial reasons leaving her a free agent you know, after signing with the second club in Sweden and having more UEFA success, Marta was ready to return to the U.S. In 2017, Marta joined the Orlando Pride and immediately was among the best players in the league. She was second in the NWSL in both scoring and assists and was named the league MVP again. For the sixth time, Marta was also named the FIFA World Player of the Year. And while she suffered a season-ending injury in 2022, she looks to return to form and, you know, again, being one of the better players in the league in her age 37 season in 2023. You know, all told, Marta was the first player to score a goal in five different FIFA World Cups. You know, we saw this in the news recently uh, when 
people claimed it was Ronaldo, but Marta had done yeah. it before. You know, and she scored a total of 115 goals for Brazil and nearly 300 goals for clubs across the world. You know, her impressive six FIFA World Player of the Year awards, including five consecutive, it's another feat that likely will never be replicated. Despite all of that success, Marta was never able to reach the pinnacle of European club football or football for a nation. And as a result, she's often overlooked in the greater conversation, the greats of the game. She also suffered three of her teams collapsing while she played there. Three teams yeah. folded while she was a player for them. Right. You know, that said, do you think Marta is just another player who wasn't able to carry her teams when it mattered the most? Or do you think she's underrated? Well, I, th- I think she's absolutely underrated. I, you know, I think for um, especially, you know, U.S. fans, you know, um, we'll talk about somebody like Mia Hamm, right? Mia Hamm was, I guess you can look at Mia, Mia Hamm as pretty much the first, like, global female superstar of, uh, of, of soccer, right? And, um, you know, I think that taking a look at someone like Marta, you know, if, if Ham is soccer's first female superstar, you know, Marta is the one who raised the bar to show that women uh, athletes were capable of just that flair and that, you know, um, excitement and, you know, the talent levels because she was such an explosive striker, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And I think, too, um, you know, I she's compared to, to, to Pele and, and Ronaldinho and things like that, but, I mean people don't really realize that she even outdid Pele and, and every other uh, Brazilian footballer. I mean, she's the most goals in international football, you know, um, you know, with what I, I think uh, 109 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's some crazy number. 115. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, she has the, the record for the most goals in FIFA World Cup history. Uh, I mean, Again, it's one of these conversations. You talk about people like Michelle Akers. You talk about Mia Hamm, uh, Sun Wen, uh, Abby Wambach. You know, it's it's crazy to say. You know, there's so many. You know, um, U.S. I mean, and even now, still currently, we'll talk about Christine Sinclair, right? You know, yeah, yeah. still active, but um, I, I think overlooked. I think the career as a whole is, is continues to be overlooked. You know, uh, especially. Um, you know, I, I know that 19 World Cup was, you know, a tough knockout, you know, for, for Brazil. I, I just, um, I don't think it's, she's really been appreciated. And, you know, and now, now it's kind of, you know, she's in the twilight of her career. And, you know, maybe now at this point, we can look back and start appreciating it a little bit more. But, I mean, for, for the majority of her career, we can honestly say that uh, it, it hasn't been. I mean, uh, I can say that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we, we can say that, you know, Brazilian male football stars, male soccer stars in Brazil have have been world-renowned players. Right? They're, they're players that are revered everywhere uh, because that's just the way the world views Brazilian sure. soccer. That's, right. that's not the same on the women's side, despite, you know, lots of support uh, domestically there. Um, you know, we've seen, you know, tens of thousands i I think i i read for one game in brazil i think seventy thousand people showed up to watch her play right uh you know that that international recognition just uh hasn't been there Um, for sure i think 
you know, she was a victim of uh, a bad era for professional women's soccer, you know? Yeah. Several of her teams collapsed, which is just not a thing that happens in men's soccer. Sure. Um, and, and the game has grown considerably over the last decade um, and at a much more rapid pace over the last three to four years. Um, I, I think if she had the same career that started now, um, it'd be different. Uh, but unfortunately... That's not the way time works. Right. But, uh, you know, just another another player that we've talked about that's been a victim of, of the era in which they existed. But I guess that's why they're all underrated. Right. Well, yeah, of course. You know, um, it's funny. You know, years back, this is a well-known topic, obviously, between, you know, men's sports and women's sports. But, you know, and obviously it's a different playing field. But the discrepancy also in just between male athletes and female athletes you know is is still massive right obviously we brought up the wnba earlier you know that's why we have to pose a question is this good for the sport you know it's been headed in the correct direction for for you know over the past couple seasons and i think it's in a great place right you know uh what do these changes do you feel like it's on the cusp but anything can possibly happen to set it back you know um definitely it's 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 great that she's still you know out there and competing um and and keeping her her name out there um but i i mean i honestly i mean how can you not consider her to be you know one of the greatest of all time yeah it's just funny that the you know her name isn't really uh you know uh just a, a, a household name when it comes to just you know the sport in general as it should right yeah yeah and it'll it'll be good you know i i think that uh in a year that saw such um massive growth for the national women's soccer league um in this past year was also one that uh you know saw her hurt and miss the entire year right right Um, definitely so so hopefully with that that added publicity that added support of the league and uh, return from injury um you know maybe she'll get some of the respect that she so long deserved I hope so. Definitely. Well, absolutely underrated, you know, and it's a shame too. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we agree. Uh, Alex English underrated for a variety of reasons from his playing career to his acting career. And uh, yeah. Marta underrated for a you know, superb playing career. Um, for sure. Dominating soccer, you know, player. Just yeah. again, I mean, Brazil's record score. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. just like, you know, <laughs> just not there. So, uh, yeah, definitely agreed. Yeah, so um, you know, lots happening in the world. Uh, anything you're you're excited about in the in the near future, in the sports world? Well, I mean, you know, uh, obviously, Tom Brady's retired again. I mean, we can enjoy this for a week. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, finally, another great quarterback can can get the spotlight. Um, yeah. It'll be really interesting to see um, how Derek Carr can uh, can can take over where where he goes. Yeah, uh, you, you know it's gonna be funny when we find out this has nothing to do with football, and like the feds are going after him over some crypto situation. Yeah, or for for peddling unregulated supplements <laughs> made with organic beets. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I wonder. I wonder what prison would be like for, for, for a man uh, who who couldn't 
who couldn't access his his supplements and his cryptocurrency. Right. Forget forget the fact that he can't see his former wife and kids. Right. You know that the supplements, the ashwagandha, (laughs) the ashwagandha pills, and the the uh, the the cryptocurrency, not being able to. But maybe he could talk to Sam Bankman-Fried. Correct. Correct. You've got Tom Brady with his ashwagandha, and you've got Aaron Rodgers with his ayahuasca, and that whole situation. Yeah. There. Again, it's another painful offseason of having to listen to, you know, because keep in mind, like, Tom Brady retired yesterday on the exact day that he retired a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I was thinking, you know, as we talk about these quarterbacks and we on our podcast here, I think that if Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady got together to make a podcast, it would literally just be the Joe Rogan experience. (laughs) I'm pretty sure, yeah, I'm pretty, they would just, they should just join Joe Rogan at this point. I, I, I mean, I, I feel like all the topics they would they would cover it would be absolutely be ashwagandha and ayahuasca. <laughs> Definitely, probably some MMA stuff in there mixed in. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, I've got a question for you before we wrap up our discussion about Tom Brady. Sure. Um, if he does end up in prison for peddling unregulated supplements that he made outlandish claims about, or promoting uh a Ponzi scheme of a cryptocurrency. Do yeah. you think that he would be um, cellmates with someone like Martin Shkreli? <laughs> you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, Martin Shkreli. Yeah, he's, they. Uh... You know, as as Tom Brady has has devolved in his appearance, he looks pretty similar to to the farmer bro Martin Shkreli. <laughs> I could see that happening. Yeah, and then I think like you know, depending on what the sentence was, that they would, you know. Uh, share that time in prison and come up with a you know new scheme to you know put into place when they get out but yeah i i feel like that would be a good cellmate for him you know yeah just a, yeah. a minimum security prison where a bunch of white white collar uh you know folks have committed crimes yeah do you think that you know? um do you think that brett Favre could join them or is he a yeah. little, or, or, you know, I, I, I don't know if he'd fit in, right? No, no, and he his, wouldn't fit in. And his he, wranglers. Exa- yeah, exactly. He's, he's just a little too rough around the edges. Like, you got to be able to have a conversation and turn on a computer. He, he doesn't even know how to, you know, uh, not text about laundering money. Um, do we have any updates on what's going on with that? Like, have we heard anything else? Um, yeah, I read an article the other day that outlined how he's still a piece of shit who should be in prison. I thought you were going to say how the Jets were still interested in bringing him back. Yeah. I, um, I'll i say this. You know, I don't know what the Jets saw in Zach Wilson exactly, but the, I mean, that was a typical Jets draft pick. They've done this so many times. It's really crazy that like Joe Flacco was performing at such a high level compared to Zach Wilson. Yeah, yeah. But is it that surprising? <laughs> I mean, is it really? Well, Baltimore fans were so pissed off too. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, you know, Joe Flacco as a successful quarterback seems like the it seems like the kind of kind of person the Colts will sign and hope that Jeff Saturday can lead him to success. 
listen, I think uh, I think there's a good chance that Derek Carr ends up the uh, next quarterback for the Colts. It's possible. Definitely, I, I could see that happening. I was. I don't know if you saw this story, and I only want to bring this up because we're talking about the Colts or whatever. But did you ever hear the story about why uh, Josh McDaniels uh, pulled out of the um, head coaching position for the Indianapolis Colts that one year, where he had already made the commitment, and then all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, was like, "No thanks." Did you ever uh, hear the story? I didn't know that he had that uh, agreement to begin with. No. Yeah, yeah. Well, so he one year I forget what year it is a while back. He'd agreed to uh, become the next head coach of the Indianapolis Colts and um, just out of nowhere decides, I guess, the next day to not do it. And so, like, all this time goes on. He said he didn't feel right or whatever. Well, apparently here recently, his wife did an interview and said that she told Josh McDaniels, her husband, to not take the job because she was very uncomfortable. Jim Ursay had come over to their house for just a regular dinner. And his behavior was very erratic. But what was most uh, disturbing to her was that he spent <laughs> an uncomfortable amount of time in their bathroom <laughs> and didn't come out. <laughs> and she said that something was off with this man and she would never feel comfortable, um, you know, having that man be her husband's employer. Yeah. I mean, have you seen Jim Irsay? Yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, the man looks like a, like the result of a C-section. Yeah, I think that without a doubt, the the uncomfortable thing he did in the bathroom was just a lot of cocaine. <laughs> it had to be right. Like I, I mean, look, I don't know, I don't know what was happening, but then you know, it's like okay, well, you know, due to his hit, <laughs> <laughs> you uh, you guys can't see this, but. Uh, Lefty just uh, held up a riveting photo of Jim Irsay. <laughs> a very, a very purple Jim Irsay. <laughs> Why is he so bruised? <laughs> he he really does have the 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 coloring of a newborn. <laughs> oh my! <God. laughs> you know this this episode has gone off the rails. So I think it really I, I think we're gonna wrap one. it up here. Um, all right. You can you can listen to this episode and all episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever podcasts can be found. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at underrated pod. That's at under underscore rated underscore pod. Um, you can follow us on TikTok. It's the same name. You can follow us on YouTube at underrated pod, and you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash underrated pod. And if uh, we're not banned and there is a next time, we will see you then. Absolutely. Stay tuned uh, for for more senseless conversation about the movie Eddie. <laughs>